Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows. I'm your host, Mark Stansbury, and today we have with us Andrew Ranson. Andrew, welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast. Thank you, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Excited to visit with you today. Well, you can tell I'm anxious because I'm stumbling over already words because I'm ready to get started, get moving forward. <laughs> but Andrew Ranson is with Oklahoma State University's Wes Watkins Center for International Trade Development Executive Director. And we met, oh, I guess really via Zoom, wasn't it? And I think we were watching a small business development group and talking around the state. I think it were around 30 of us. And uh, we started visiting afterwards. Uh, in fact, I think even during the Zoom call, he said, I need to visit with you and I need to visit with you back and forth and wound up doing that. And so from the Zoom call, we've expanded our friendship and our reach from trying to make a difference in the world. And so today we're going to go through that journey and what we've done together as far as in the short period of time, but what also you've really had a journey of life. I mean, from doing uh, work in all parts of the world, not just the United States, but China and some other locations. And as far as your uh, Mandarin and your opera, I mean, it's really intriguing the things you've done. So let's get started about your journey and share with the audience what you've done along the journey, and we'll go on from there. That sounds great, Mark. Well, yeah, it's interesting how these kinds of relationships start from things like a session where I was asking some questions on a session with 30 or 40 people, and then you and I had a side conversation that turned into, I call it a good friendship, and then also working together on a number of things. So it's been great. So in terms of my journey, I think, you know, it's been a winding path, but I think if you ask anybody, most people have a career that they wouldn't have predicted necessarily, and it just pieces come to you and you take opportunities that come and you sort of build, you build the framework as you go, I think in, in many, many cases. And that's certainly been the case with my career journey. And as you mentioned, I had the opportunity to study Mandarin Chinese in college. I went to Dartmouth College and ended up majoring in it. I was so intrigued by it. It was such a different thing for a kid from Western Colorado to be able to you know, speak Chinese kind of blew my mind. And that excitement kind of lasted quite a while. And then I guess the way I'd frame this, because I think it ties to hopefully what we're going to be talking about in terms of some of the work we've been doing together. But starting from that point, or I mean, I guess probably before then, but certainly from that point, many of the roles that I've had throughout my career have been as what I would call a translator. So one of my first jobs out of college, I was working with Chinese and Westerners and sort of being that bridge between those folks helping the Westerners understand the Chinese culture, helping the Chinese understand Western culture, and then the language side was a part of that. Moved pretty quickly after that into a management consulting role. I worked for the Boston Consulting Group starting in Hong Kong. And there again, it was a translation role in a sense that I was doing interviews of organizations throughout Asia, but particularly in China, and then translating that back for our multinational clients to try and help them understand what the opportunities were at that time. That was actually in the early 1990s. 
And then moving into more strategy work, I spent a large portion of my career doing business strategy works, first with a company called Giant Partners. They're now called Magellan Executive Partners, not to be confused with the oil and gas company with the name Magellan Executive Partners. And that was a basically taking the knowledge and wisdom of the executive team and translating that into a format that could be shared with the rest of the organization to create synergy, to create momentum and focus and help everybody get on the same page so that they could execute. Spent a number of years with a company called Future Point of View, also focused on strategy, but this was more technology strategy, digital strategy, companies that hadn't really built a large digital platform. We were helping them to transform and take more of their business into the digital domain and improve their ability to use technology. And again, there was a translation component where on one side of the table would be a technologist who understood you know, the inner workings of the technology. And then on the other side of the table would be a business person who was trying to, to make some business decision or get some ROI on whatever their technology investment. And so I would typically sit between those two sides and try to help there be a mutual understanding. So that's just one of the things I kind of wanted to get across in terms of talking about my journey. That's sort of a through line, you know, trying to find ways to make complex thoughts and complex domains a bit simpler in order to communicate important messages effectively. So I always like the quote that is attributed to Albert Einstein. I can't be positive about that, but he said, make things as simple as possible but no simpler. And I always think about that quote, which I think has kind of a humorous aspect to it, but really trying to look at a situation, understand enough of the complexity, but then be able to communicate it in such a way that others can get on board and move forward. Well, there's so much to cover and we're not going to be able to. I know in this episode, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, it's exciting to go step-by-step through all that you've been involved with, at least from a 35,000 foot level, because we could definitely spend a lot of time on several issues. One thing you mentioned is the digital world and the digital transformation. And I want to go ahead and talk in a few minutes more about CITD, but how are we handling the digital transformation? I know in the energy world, and I don't know if this is every sector that you're facing, but sometimes I believe we're behind as far as going from what I call the digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. Are you seeing that or how are we combating? uh, Maybe there's a fear of going to the digital world. I don't know. How are you seeing this? Well, I guess I'd say a couple things. First of all, I don't think there's one answer to that question. I think there's a real spectrum, both in terms of leaders and their both willingness and ability to kind of grasp what's needed from a digital standpoint. There's diversity in terms of companies. You know, some companies have really made their way and built their organizations in a non-digital world. And so some of those organizations transforming that into a much more reliant on a digital set of platforms and so forth can be a big challenge. It can be very expensive. What I see mostly is organizations that have retained their employees for a really long time. You know, they've got folks that have been around for, you know, 10, 15, 20, even 30 or even 40 years. They've got these folks with this deep institutional knowledge. They do things in a certain way. And honestly, those firms actually have at times struggle with digital transformation, and it's for a whole host of reasons. So I guess just without kind of going on and on about it, I'd say there's a lot of diversity because there are definitely leaders and companies and folks out there who are pushing the envelope with what's possible, integrating artificial intelligence and automated processes into their workflows and so forth. 
and much, much more than that. And then there are others who are really just really struggling to kind of get their core systems right so that they can take those next steps. I think that's one thing that's hard about digital transformation is even if you see the vision, taking what you have and moving it to that next stage, getting the adoption of your staff in such a way that you can continue the momentum and be successful even through that transition is where a lot of the challenges are. I must mention at this point, and I'm going back to your journey before we move on, and that is your opera singer as well. And if you'll expand on that, because it ties into a story, I'll say this. I was on a uh, call with Andrew and a couple of others, and I'd mentioned their Mandarin as well as opera and uh, made a statement that, you know, he definitely is an expert in both areas in regard to uh, professionalism. And one of the individuals said, well, I'd like to hear him sing opera along with Mandarin someday. And Andrew began singing in in opera Mandarin. So it was very entertaining, but also I think a good work tool. Tell us about that along the way, because everyone needs an outlet, but this was a professional career also, but also being able to change careers and also embrace your interest. Well, I guess the way I'd describe it, thank you, Mark. I mean, it's always been something I've enjoyed is singing. And I've also always enjoyed international, just that that's been a part of my life since I was a young kid. And so in a way, pursuing the operatic path was a way to study languages. I studied Italian, I studied German, I learned to sing in Latin, in French, even in Hebrew and Yiddish, as well as Portuguese and all this. So just that kind of combining the cultural part with the artistic part, with the performance part, being an opera singer is a little bit like being an Olympic athlete. You've got to really take care of your body. You've got to manage your voice in a way. It's a very physical activity. You're always kind of on the edge of what's possible. And so that was always really exciting. But yeah, I spent about 10 years continuing to do management consulting at least part of the time, but pretty much 10 years where my main focus was both learning how to sing, starting to audition for opera companies and kind of working my way through that process. And I did okay. I mean, I ended up singing some for the Opera Colorado, for San Diego Opera at one point in their young artist programs, which was kind of a funny thing because I was like the least young. I came to it a little (laughs) late. I was 25 and most of my colleagues were 18. So that was kind of funny. But yeah, that was an interesting part of my journey. And I think, once again, the translation as a singer, you're translating a composer's intention in a way that your audience kind of goes on a journey. And so to the extent that you're thinking about how you're going to do your next phrase or in the way mentally, you're not going to take them on that journey. They're going to start to see the mechanics of it. It's not what you want. And so to be a good translator, you've got to have your technique solid. You've got to understand the drama of what's going on. And then you've got to deliver that in a way that the audience feels like they're a part of it, even if you're doing it in a language that they don't necessarily understand. And so that's just one other element of this, I think, this translator component that I would say is a thread that ties my career together quite a bit. CITD. Tell us about CITD and the journey. I know that I was involved many years ago in regard to CITD from the standpoint of helping with programs and international work and so forth, a partnership. And that's expanded through the years. I really enjoyed working with the fellow colleagues of yours back then. Tell us now where it is, but also the history of CITD. You bet. So uh, Congressman Wes Watkins had a vision that 
essentially exports were going to be critically important to U.S. businesses. And so he had the wherewithal to put this center together, which is now called the West Watkins Center for International Trade Development here at Oklahoma State University. And it's been ongoing for roughly 30 years now. And so I'm privileged to be part of that legacy. And when I arrived in late 2019, I was really asked to sort of recast the mission of the center. And I did that in a fairly broad way. And so the way that I describe that mission now is to bring the knowledge, the network, and the resources of Oklahoma State University to improve Oklahoma's global and trade competitiveness. So this idea of competitiveness is sort of central to all the things that we do here and trying to understand how can we add value to the state, to the companies that we are able to assist, how can we help uncover what we like to call non-obvious opportunities for Oklahoma and Oklahoma companies, and then also to be able to take complex issues. And you know, the more I get into this domain, I have not spent my whole career in trade. As I mentioned, I spent a lot of it in management consulting, but I had some background in trade early in my career and I've always been kind of tied into it at some level. But you want to talk about a complex and complicated domain. International trade is extremely, extremely complex. And so one thing that we really strive to do here is to, again, simplify things in such a way that things can be communicated well, that people can understand how they can proceed and be successful in that domain. Well, the facility, in fact, in 1996, I was chairman of the International Energy Policy Conference, and we hosted that event at your facilities Okay. in 1996. It was a wonderful event. It was where we had a lot of space to conduct the meetings and the conference itself, but also exhibits. And so I really thank the CITD for that opportunity. And so that you go back 30 years, that's telling my age, you know, I, <laughs> I wound up actually about the time it opened working with them in some regards. So I'm kind of going, whoa, that really sets the tone, doesn't it? My goodness. But yeah, the impact that CIT has made and it continues to make is uh, unbelievable. I, I know that from my standpoint, CITD has been very beneficial as of late. I'd written a book back in uh, 2012 when it was released. Uh, American Needs, America's Energy, creating together the People's Energy Plan. And it was well-received, and yet uh, 10 years passes by. And I uh, thought, you know, it's out of date. People would still continue to ask for the book or whatever, but I was going, need it up to date. Need find ways to make it up to date. And I did my own research back then, and it was from uh, someone that's in the energy sector. So I thought, I need to do something different and make it a supplement. So I came up with the idea of putting together a monograph, American Needs, America's Energy, and its Natural Resources with the monograph. And I thought, I can't do that by myself because it's definitely looking at my opinions, my views, instead of looking at it from a different standpoint of really officially looking at it from a research standpoint. And so I thought, well, I need to reach out, I did, to Andrew and to the team that do you have graduate students that you have at, at OSU under your program? And it's very concise, put together. It's something that I am very proud of from the standpoint of being able to supplement the book and at the same time get the message about that it's not just about looking at just oil and gas. It's looking at the future of energy in different ways of how we can work at all forms of energy and work together that way. And I really wanted to be able to have a debate, a dialogue, input 
from others and get feedback. And so it's starting that way. We just released it. But to say all that, energy is going to be a big part, is already a big part of Oklahoma and our region and the nation and the world. And so now, where do we go with all this? And so I went to, again, Andrew and his team. Andrew, could you tell us about, not just about what the grant and the works that we did together, but what opportunities there are for others as well? Well, I do want to start just to kind of piggyback on some of the things that you mentioned, Mark, and then I'll talk a little bit more broadly. But it was such an interesting project to work on with you, you know, because it tried to do two things. It was dealing with a really complex and potentially politically charged, as we all know, this topic of energy is now very politically charged in certain regards. Right. And we wanted to be able to talk about it in a way that was both accessible and I guess what I would call even handed. Mm-hmm. And to be able to compare the various energy domains or sectors in a way that the trade-offs of each could really start to be assessed and viewed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you and I talked about many times, the goal was to create a way for really everybody from citizens to industry players to policymakers to be able to have meaningful dialogue about this fairly complicated topic and crucial topic. And so to your point, I mean, as you said, the feedback we've heard is so far about the monograph has been pretty positive. And the way that the information provides sort of a baseline of comparative information that even a non-expert can follow pretty easily. Like, you know, you've been in the energy business for much of your career. Our team is, you know, I would say at some level novices. And so we were trying to come at it from the standpoint of what are the critical things that people need to understand about these different forms of energy and that can be understood across a wide variety of folks. Well, I really appreciate the team effort. It was wonderful. The subjects, you might go over the subjects too, because it's not just, again, oil and gas, but expanded in some other areas and how you were able to put that together as well. Well, I guess the idea, the core idea that we started talking about was, again, this comparing, you know, I'll use apples to apples, but this idea of being able to compare the different sectors, even though they are looked at through some different lenses. And so we looked at crude oil, we looked at natural gas, we looked at wind, we looked at nuclear, hydrogen, solar, and biofuels. So we took those seven sectors Mm-hmm. And then really our effort was to try to articulate what is it, you know, even at that basic level, what is this when you talk about hydrogen as a form of energy, what are we even talking about? When you talk about solar, what do we mean? When we talk about oil and gas, what do we mean? Because that means different things in terms of how it's used and so forth. So what is it? Where is its role currently in the energy mix, primarily in the U.S., but even globally? And then what does the future look like? What are the technologies that are coming? What is the role of this particular sector or this particular form of, of energy potentially going to be in the future? And so we really tried to look at each of them through those lenses, again, as a way to try to have that dialogue in a more meaningful way. And how does this help other companies potentially? I mean, not just the book or monograph, I don't mean that in that sense, but there may be some opportunities from companies throughout the state, maybe the region nationally, that are looking for an unbiased, I guess, approach, research approach. What opportunities can they think about in asking you to help them? Well, I guess there's a range of possibilities. We run something called a small business development center here, as you're well aware of, Mark. And in that role, we assist Oklahoma companies with their international trade needs. And some of those needs at times would be hey, I want to expand to a new market. 
and I'm not exactly sure which market I want to address next. Can you help me with a market selection process? And so we can do some research along those lines. Or if somebody has identified a market and they just need to get additional information and start to evaluate how they might go about entering that market, we can provide some of that research as well. But, but I guess your question is a little bit broader. And one project that we're actually working on right now, I told you earlier about this idea of our focus on competitiveness. We did a report not too long ago on all the supply chain issues that have been happening. And rather than just look at spot issues of things that were in the press that week, for example, we really tried to look at it systemically and try to shape a report that helps explain what was really going on and what continues to go on and whether there was any fix in sight or any end in sight. And we've gotten really good feedback on that report, so much so that we decided we wanted to take it to the next level. That report was conducted doing mostly secondary research, basically just reading materials and studies and some of the press and assessing based on that secondary research what was going on. But we are now in the process of interviewing companies to understand how they have responded and navigated the supply chain issues. And everybody we've talked to has been dealing with that and continues to trying to really understand two things. What are the sources of competitiveness that Oklahoma particularly has that could be leveraged and perhaps enhanced? And what are some of the hurdles or possible barriers that might be present, whether they be structural barriers or possibly policy barriers or things like that. And so we're involved in the next phase of that research now to try to uncover some of those kinds of things, which again, I think what you're asking is more around a company coming to us or an organization coming to us who has some research needs. We're open to that conversation. We've got a pretty flexible research team here We have a faculty advisor who's a pretty brilliant network economist and understands how to put research together in a way that makes me look really smart. (laughs) And so his name's Dr. John Shoneman. You know, like you said, it's a team effort. We've got some great grad students who have some really good capabilities. We've got the faculty guidance. And then I guess what I bring to the table is, okay, so how is this going to be relevant to people? How is it going to be business actionable, that sort of thing. And so that's really my goal is to try to make sure that we don't end up with some truly academic report that has an audience of about, you know, maybe four people who can understand it. We really want to make it accessible and something that's going to be meaningful. Well, like I've said, I've uh, had great comments about the monograph from those in the oil and gas industry, energy sectors, as well as consumers, because it's something that they can at all levels, or at least, you know, go to as a source. And so that's so important. And I I really appreciate you again and John and Michael for all the efforts. Uh, Michael Johnson, who is a graduate student, tell us about the graduate program because there are those that are going in the energy sector and other trades uh, as far as areas of expertise. Tell us about your graduate program and how it could be helpful. Yeah, so we have a a really interesting program here. It's kind of unique, I think, potentially in the country where we have a focus, a graduate focus on trade. And then through the CITD here, we have what we call the West Watkins Global Trade Fellows. And so these fellows spend about 20 hours a week, essentially as interns here in our center. And they get a range of experiences, including working with some of our small business development center clients, but also doing targeted research, like I said, on the supply chain, or we've done studies when Brexit was about to happen. We tried to understand what kind of an impact that would have on Oklahoma. We did a report early on called Trading Up, 
trying to really just frame Oklahoma trade more broadly. And we're now in the process of working on an update to that sort of post-COVID, where's the state of trade in Oklahoma? And so these global trade fellows, they spend two years during their graduate school experience here at the School of Global Studies, which is where CITD is housed. And then they work inside the center and, like I said, do research and work on client projects and get a chance to kind of blend that really practical experience with some additional research experience that's a bit more targeted and a little bit more practical, perhaps, than just writing an academic paper. We've been involved with an organization called the Governor's International Team, Oklahoma, GIT, OKGIT, and we've worked together on a World Energy Conference, some other things. If you will, uh, briefly tell us about the GIT, because I know there's other organizations and listeners that are in other states who probably want to be involved in their statewide efforts, whether it be in Texas or those in, uh, outside of Oklahoma and other states. Tell us about how they can become involved and what the organization is all about. Yeah, so the Oklahoma Governors International team has also been around for a number of years. It is a 501c6 nonprofit organization, and it really has a fairly broad mission to advance the global reach of Oklahoma. And that means engaging folks that are globally minded here in the state, as well as engaging folks from other countries. And so we do that through a number of means. Like you mentioned, the conference, we recently held what was called the Consular Summit, where a number of consul generals, most of them from the Houston areas where they're based, were invited to a couple of days of just events and getting to know each other that we also have part of our organization are what are called the honorary consuls. So when we have our regular meetings, and we actually are having a meeting, a membership meeting tomorrow, the honorary consuls also attend that, and they are sort of a conduit who are folks that live here in Oklahoma, but are designated by their country of origin to be a representative and tie back to their country. And so we have those folks as part of our group. We have business folks. We have folks that are part of cultural organizations, for example, Sister Cities and Tulsa Global Alliance folks participate in, in our Oklahoma Governors International team. And then we also have educational institutions. So we really cover that broad range with respect to Oklahoma's global reach and try to provide opportunities for Oklahomans to engage internationally and to develop those relationships. So for example, if a business is beginning to export and needs to connect into that consular network, Well, if they had attended the consular summit, they may have had a chance to develop a relationship with that consul and can just reach out and already have that relationship in place. And so it can speed those kinds of things up when it comes to resolving issues or finding new opportunities and so forth. So it's a pretty broad range of the kinds of activities, mostly tied at some level to economic development ultimately. And, you know, one of the things we say is that every new export begins with a relationship. So, you know, if you talk about business development, it's all about relationships. And so, okay, GIT is really about fostering that. I'm glad you emphasize that because uh, many uh, do not reach out as they should, I believe, that way. Because networking is essential, at least in my life. I know it's yours. And uh, GIT is another way of doing that. And I know in your state, those are listening across the nation. There are organizations just like this. I would say become involved. It's so important. The monograph, by the way, can be found on uh, Barnes & Noble website, Amazon, uh, as far as an ebook. And I hope you'll go to there. Those that are interested in CITD and what your services you can provide and the programs and all the things that are going on at CITD. By the way, 
I think you might tell us their website because there's going to be, I think, some folks who'd like to hear about this, and especially energy sector, whatever energy sector or part of the energy industry you're part of, whether it's oil and gas, hydrogen, wind, solar, reach out to Andrew and his team if you have an interest in doing uh, some research or programs or things like that. What's the best way to contact you, Andrew, and your team? You mentioned the website, and the easiest way to get to that website is just citd.okstate.edu, citd.okstate.edu. That'll get you to our webpage there for the West Watkins Center. And once you're there, if you are interested in those research reports, there is a button there that says Access Research. You can also access our business advisory services and so forth. We have an email address, CITD, the number one, at okstate.edu. And we are also on Facebook, OSUCITD, and then on Twitter, at OSUCITD, and as well on LinkedIn. So we try to have those bases covered. You know, we don't have a TikTok account, but (laughs) we're not quite that youthful, I guess. Well, you've got it covered quite a bit, for sure. My goodness, that's a great reach out. You know, you've had your mentors along the way. I know we've talked about that in previous uh, interviews and discussions we've had and about different uh, periodicals and things like that. Taking that into account, mentors, periodicals, and what tips and advice do you have on a daily basis for those that are trying to get more? You know, we have upcoming leaders, we have students, all the way to CEOs that are going, we need to improve our lives. And even myself, after 45 years in the business, I'm still learning. I still would like to find a way. I have dashboards and metrics and all this, and they continue to change. And I keep modifying them through the years, trying to find the right way to get things done on a daily basis, much less monthly or yearly. How do you go about your life? You cover so many things. Like we've talked about how you got you know, where you are, but the accomplishments you've had. Time management had to be very key to get to where you are. So what advice do you have? Well, I guess I'd offer two things just to try to be brief there when i worked for the company future point of view with a gentleman by the name of scott klasowski he had built a method which he calls rivers of information and it's a way to use essentially technology tools to develop a set of filtered information about topics that you really want to maintain and stay up on and whenever i explain this i always make the caveat that filters can be good but they can also be bad so you have to be careful not to filter things in such a way that that you end up in an echo chamber and only hear the opinions or thoughts that you already agree with but This rivers of information method, just for example, allows me to open up my tablet in the morning when I'm having my breakfast. So I'm literally eating my breakfast for about, you know, eight minutes, but I have a program where I basically can open it and be immediately reading, not just the daily news, but something very specific to the commodities trade, you know, what's going on today in that or international trade, or when I was doing technology, what's happening with artificial intelligence as it relates to digital twins and supply chain management. So building these very specific rivers of information allows me to consume information pretty darn efficiently and stay up to speed on topics that are important for me that I, that I want to stay up to speed on. Well, then the other thing I just wanted to mention, I have become a bit of a productivity nerd. Mm-hmm. And I got to one point where I just had to build my own method. And I ended up building a pretty effective method using a combination of Excel and a timer kind of tracker 
and some other things to where I really improved my productivity so much so that I had to actually back off using the tools so that I could get my life back a little bit more into balance. So, but definitely I'm sort of a student of productivity. How do you get more done and get the right things done? Uh, maybe more importantly, but like you said, always, always learning as well. And one challenge I'm sure a lot of leaders on your podcast, listening to podcasts struggle with is I'm just so darn busy going to meetings or, you know, trying to keep up that I don't really have that time to learn. And when I figure that one out, I'll let you know, Mark. I was about to say that. I'm glad to hear all this because now I'm uh, maybe modifying <laughs> after 45 years, the way I do things, I keep continuing to change. <laughs> so just to improve, to continue to improve is I think is key is what I'm hearing. And you're doing that on a daily basis. And so that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing those things. And along the way, if you have other advice, we'd love to hear from you because that's what we're trying to do is improve as that's part of the Energy Fellows. And you've been listening to the Energy Fellows podcast. And Andrew Ranson, I thank you for sharing this time and valuable information. And it just, as I started off, I couldn't wait to get started. And it's so exciting because there's so much to cover. We didn't cover it all, but we did get at least some things underway so people can do some research and the energy industry and other sectors can go to the CID for information. I want to mention to those that are listening, definitely uh, go to the show notes, look up the websites. I will furnish some websites there. Also, there's a place to go on to provide a message. If you will send us a review and a message about the podcast, and we'd love to hear from you on the review as well. And keep listening to our episodes. We love to hear from you and the ideas of who you'd like to hear from, subjects you'd like to hear about. And again, you've been listening to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury. The future of energy depends on us. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.